Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. You're coming at a really dicey time where the brand is certainly under fire. There are charges of the company of sexual harassment, drivers behaving badly, customer safety is a concern. So you knew all of that going in, yet you still said, I want that job, <laughs> which I think says something about you. <laughs> probably, probably. Uh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I've never been afraid of anything. Bozema St. John, one of the most successful business women that I know, incredibly accomplished marketing executive who recently was named the chief marketing officer at Netflix. She's no stranger to major brands. She was in the C-suite at Pepsi, Uber, Endeavor, Apple, and a few others before she took this job at Netflix. Uh, Boze is a badass. She's fearless, unique, completely unapologetic about who she is, and I like it. Everything about her says, I am ambitious. I wanted to ask her about her experience experience coming up in corporate America. I also wanted to get a sense of the culture and the environment within the halls of major brands that she's worked at. Do they really care or is that all corporate social justice? Well, you get to hear from her firsthand about her experiencing climbing, holding the door open for others who don't necessarily look like her, breaking barriers, which means breaking anything. It had to hurt, right? Well, she talks about it. If there's a black woman out there that is doing it all and doing it well and doing it at a high level, it's Bozema. Bozema St. John, ladies and gentlemen. She's here on The Brown Print. I, I often uh, talk to people about being successful in air quotes or how we arrived. And as you all know, you're a mentor in my program, Brown Girls Dream. And I thought that yes. it would be great to have a podcast that really gave us a blueprint to how to succeed in life, personally and professionally. Uh, and also to hear from some of the greats and, and see how they did it. Everyone has their own journey. Um, and life is definitely a marathon, all the cliche things. Mm -hmm. But... You, my friend, um, understand when I say brown print, because as a black woman uh, and black and brown people can relate to this. Our blueprint isn't so defined. It's never mm -hmm. put out so easily. It, there's always so many detours, so many struggles, so many things that people don't know about. And and my hope now is that we can be as candid as we can be uh, about your career and how you've been able to arrive where you are. But I want to take people back to the genesis. Talk mm -hmm. to me about moving to the United States of America. And, and what you were feeling with family in tow when you were in Colorado Springs and your first thoughts of being here and, mm -hmm. and, and, and your insecurities and also your, your good moments in which you started to grow. Yeah. Well, I also want to acknowledge before I even get to that, that this is such a brilliant idea. It really is. I mean, yeah. not just as a bestie, <laughs> which always want to gas you and make you feel great. Um, but also because as a marketer and as a student of pop culture, this is a really, really, really solid idea. You know, it is something that if I saw somewhere else out in the world, I'd be like, damn, good strategy, you know, because you're right. It's like the, the brown print is exactly the way we should redefine what it means to be black and brown these days and try to find your own success. By the way, it's the way that it's been for centuries. Yes. 
that the blueprint that was written by someone else doesn't apply to us. And the reason why we fail is because we're always trying to measure up to that blueprint and it wasn't even written with us in mind. And so why would we not fail? Why would we ever think that we could succeed based on somebody else's blueprint for us? Never. Okay. So you out the gate, you preaching. And <laughs> out the I don't, gate. Out the gate, you preaching. I don't have my dollar for the collection plate, Pastor. But let me tell you <laughs> something. We have never been on their playing field. It's not a mm-hmm. level playing field. It's a brown print. It's not a blueprint. It sounds right. good in theory. But we're, gonna, we're about to give everybody the mm. tricks of the trade. And it we're going to sounds- let them in on this game. It sounds good in theory, but in practice, it is a failure. It is an absolute disaster in practice. So yes. So to your question, Ooh, my, my early days were filled with a lot of movement. You know, I think, um, sometimes people think about their childhoods and, you know, it's like you could have the most ideal one, right? White picket fence, the (laughs) 2.5 kids in a family and apple pie and all of that. Uh, that didn't exist for me either. So maybe we, we have a different print on that. Um, I was fortunate to have a really wonderful family though, you know, um, parents who were extraordinarily supportive, who were ambitious for me. Uh, and set a standard in our house that meant that excellence was the only, the only, the only bar. There was no other bar. You know, I, I don't think one existed. I remember once somebody asked me whether or not um, I could distinguish my own ambitions from my father's, and I don't think I could. You know that his ambitions for me were so high; they were so high, and for me that began, you know, my, I would say my quest, you know, for excellence. Um, but it was troubled by the fact that we moved around a lot. You know, there was a lot of, um, a lot of, I would call like chaos, Mm. you know, in my, in my home because we moved so much. So before I was 12, I had lived in six countries. Um, And so by the time I landed in Colorado Springs, Colorado, when I was almost 13, um, I was already what I would consider a global citizen, you know, someone who had moved around a lot, who had redefined and reimagined myself many times, had been the new kid so many times that the effort to make people pronounce my name correctly came off my shoulders like it was no big deal, you know? And so when I entered that space where I was the only one in my class who looked like me, you know, when I was asked really ignorant questions and ignorant, not meaning, you know, I'm not trying to be derogatory. It's just ignorance because you don't know any better. Uh, When I was asked ignorant questions about where I came from or the food I ate or my hair or anything else, I was so practiced at answering the questions that it didn't really bother me. You know, it wasn't the type of thing that made me shrink. Rather, I puffed out my chest and said it with pride because I knew that it was better than whatever it was that they were asking, you know? And so for me, it was really a practice of being the new kid, being able to walk into spaces and quickly identify who the friends were, who the foes were, make sure that people understood who I was, pronounce my name correctly, And then we got down to business. I have a question, though. This is what I love about you. This is what everyone loves about you, this confidence. You didn't take it as uh, offensive when they, or maybe you did, but when they said, what kind of food do you eat or where do you come from? 
it was a, a badge of honor. And I think that has a lot to do with your family and, and making mm-hmm. sure that you you embraced your Africanism. That's not a word, right? But to make sure that you embraced your heritage, that you made sure that that's not something you were ashamed of. At 12, 13 years old, young girls right now are even thinking, they are still dealing with these these issues now, mm-hmm. things that they had to deal with at 12 years old because they were coming into their own and they were ashamed of maybe their body parts or how people viewed them or kids mm-hmm. who made mm-hmm. fun of them. And you said, no, this is me. I'm beautiful as I am. How did you know to do that at 12 and 13? And then carry it up through the rest of your life. Yeah. You know what? I think it's a combination of things. You know, one is definitely my mother. I mean, you've met my mom. You know yeah. my mom. She should listen. That woman, she struts into a room like she owns it all the time. Hmm. And so when we arrived, she didn't want us to assimilate. You know, I think hmm. that's what happens to a lot of immigrants, right? You come in. Um, you have to make sure that you're going to make it in the new space that you're in. So you have to either learn the language, learn the accent, you know, drop all of your customs, take on theirs in order to not be the strange one. And my mom uh, was quite the opposite. You know, she was like, oh, no, 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 We're, we, we like where we came from. <laughs> We're here because, yes, we want to make a better life for our children, um, but we, we do like it. You know, we like where we came from. And mm-hmm. so when little kids would come over to our house for the play date or for the sleepover, she didn't order the pizza. You know, <laughs> she made the food that we ate all the time and said, oh, yeah, no, you're going to eat this. You came to our house, so you're going to eat our food. Mm-hmm. And when I want some when, red, red. Give me okay, that. exactly. And then yeah. when she'd say, mm-hmm. you know, when we'd go over to their house, she was like, oh, yeah, you can eat their food when you go over there. But when they come to your house, they're going to eat your food. Right. And that was instilled in me really early, whether I liked it or not. And believe me, there were many days where I was just like, well, can't we just get the pepperoni pizza? Like, I don't understand why we got to have pepper soup. You know what I mean? And the other part of it was that, um, you know, so that combined with the fact that I had a clear understanding that where I came from was great. Now, also, just to set the setting, you know, set the context, um, I arrived in Colorado Springs, Colorado in 1989. It was in the era of Sally Struthers and UNICEF and all of these, you know, organizations which constantly had the ads on TV with the African children with flies on their eyes, bellies distended, you know, eating like clay earth and begging for a penny a day so that they could sustain I knew that was a lie. I saw that and was pissed off. I'm still pissed off. I'm still looking for that, Sally Struthers, today. Okay? Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. tell her to meet me outside. Okay. You know, I'm going to call her. Right? So I'm I, call and her. so I didn't look at it and feel shame. I looked at it and felt anger because I knew differently. It is actually one of the things that I find to be the most disturbing, and I'm sure. <laughs> We're going to get to a lot of places during this conversation, <laughs> but one of the one of the most damaging relationships, or you know, the relationships that have been so damaged, is the bond between African Americans and Africans. And I think part of it is in that campaign where Africa was meant to be painted as this terrible place that you would never want to be associated with. And so why would African-Americans want to be associated with kids with flies on their eyes and distended bellies? Of course you wouldn't, you know? But I came in and said, that's a lie. They lying on us. Mm -hmm. They're lying on us. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't all look like that. We don't all behave like that. We have beautiful homes. We have beautiful culture. We have amazing fashion. Like I was pissed off 
And so I would go to school and if somebody wanted to tell me, look, I had one, I remember one time a girl <laughs> like made the grave mistake of coming up to me and like throwing a penny in my face. You know, why would she like, do that? Oh, because she was a little stank little bitch. You know that's that. I would Who beat her to, ass. It was her exactly. name. Exactly. <laughs> Girl, okay, I will find her, her now. Okay. <laughs> she, you know, threw a penny at me. Oh my God. And I knew exactly what it was. Oh and I turned around. I was like, that's not for me. And that's not for the people where, who I know from where I came from. That's not for us. Like, and so I wasn't ashamed because I knew that somebody was lying. And so for me, there's a real juxtaposition between my mom's pride and making sure that I understood the value of where I came from and refusing to let me assimilate combined with the truth that I knew about my own heritage. But I want to take a moment because people, people listen to that, listen to that at at 12 going on 13 years old, if not maybe 14 by this time, Bozema had a clear identity. You knew who Mm -hmm. you were. You knew your power and who you are and where you came from. And you refused to relent. Now that would have crushed nine people out of 10 at 12, 13, 14 years old, especially Mm. little girls that would have, that would have lived in their spirit. And really they would have been in therapy to this day, trying to figure out if they were good enough and and over, over trying Mm. and, and trying to be something that they are not, which is why I always say I really want to show up as my most authentic self. And I can't always do that. And you are the closest living version to that that I've ever seen. Mm. And it is because of what was instilled in you. That It's not an accident that people feel whatever way they feel about you. It's it's a realness and a genuineness and an authenticity that is hard to find in a world that tells us to be something we're not in the advent of social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. So here you. No, that's true. It's a, no, you d- it defines everything about who you are. Here you mm-hmm. are, changing what people say you should. You know, changing not what people say, but changing the idea of I have to assimilate. Mm-hmm. That if 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 you guys can take that away, that's one of my first lessons in turning and trying to prove your success. Refuse to assimilate. Everybody that I know that is successful is an outlier, and that's not a a new thing, but you really, truly show up as your whole self mm-hmm. and you don't mm-hmm. apologize for that. Yeah. Was there ever a moment though that you felt like you had to assimilate? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, even at 12 and 13 and 14 in those years, the complexity of my feelings was in knowing the truth, like I said, of my identity and understanding the pride that I had in it, having a very strong mother who wouldn't let me forget it, uh, but still having the desire to fit in. You know, um, not being asked to the prom because I wasn't blonde and white, you know, and, and wanting that. And, and so having to reconcile those feelings with understanding my own pride uh, was really tough. <laughs> I've told the story before. I don't know if I've, I've ever told you, but I remember like at like, maybe I was like 16 or 17, like being in the bathroom in my house and looking at myself in the mirror and just like staring at myself. You know, and being like, but damn it, I'm I'm cute though. Like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm cute. I don't I don't understand. Like I don't understand why they don't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and being like really genuinely confused. Like I remember that feeling and being really confused and being like, I don't understand why they don't see it. Like, why don't they see it? And mm-hmm. that stuck with me. 
you know, and yes, it followed me even into my career where, you know, walking into rooms and knowing what it was that they were expecting and knowing that I didn't match up, that I didn't to their standards, to their standards, that I didn't look like what they wanted and feeling the same way I felt at 16 and being like, but why don't they see it? Like, why don't they see I'm so damn dope? Like, why don't they see that? But not feeling the pressure to change to match those standards because I knew that it wouldn't matter. The same kids that I met at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, who didn't see my contribution, who didn't appreciate my look, were the same people who were looking at me now. And I knew from back then that it didn't matter if I dyed my hair blonde. They would still see this black girl right here. Yes. This dark skinned African girl. They would still see it. Yeah. And so why would I do that at 26 in a corporate office? It didn't matter if I put on a gray suit or if I pulled all my hair back Mm. or if I tried not to wear the red lipstick or if I didn't use my hands in my gestures that I spoke passionately. If I didn't reference the blackness in the culture that I was so proud of, it wouldn't matter if I didn't do any of that. They would still see me as this dark skinned black girl. So why should I even try? Time out. Everybody just sit (laughs) because it's easy to say that. But to honestly understand that, it's easy to say that, but to understand it is a whole nother thing. I would easily say it doesn't matter no matter what. It doesn't matter. But in my heart, I still be trying. I got to be honest. There's been whether it's a relationship that I'm in with someone, a friendship, relationship, professional relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I I could say out loud all day long. I even had this experience at ESPN. They, mm. they, listen, they will mm. never ever give me my roses. They don't respect my talent. They don't understand who I am. But in my heart, it bothered me. Yes. It weighed on me. And I still was looking for that validation, not expecting it, but hoping for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Carrie, I think that's that's the key, is that I understood that they wouldn't ever see me as something that was like them. And so that's why I didn't try to do it because I knew that it didn't matter. I would just look like some kind of clown, but didn't mean that I wasn't still searching for that affirmation or that validation. I was still operating by their rules to try and get promotions, but it was an unlock for me when I realized that it would never come. And therefore I had to start promoting myself. That was the unlock for me. That's what happened to change the trajectory of my career is that I understood very clearly and thank God early that I would never look like them and they would never see me like them. And therefore I would never be able to play by their rules in order to succeed. I had to create my own. I had to promote myself. I had to be unapologetic in it, even when it hurt like hell. Even when my ideas were stolen, even when I didn't get the credit, that I had to then figure out how to move on and grab the credit for myself. Mm. And so when people ask me like, oh, well, you should be more humble. You shouldn't say the things. You shouldn't, you know, preach on yourself and brag on yourself. I'm like, well, who the hell is going to do it Mm. if I don't? Who's going to do it? What is wrong with us saying we're great? Why is there so much? I don't know. Right. Because you have been told throughout your corporate career, do you have to be Mm -hmm. so 
mm. much? Mm. Do you have to be so mm. loud? Do you have to post this about that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why can't yeah. I? Yeah. I'm asking. Well, that's that's it. Is it because no one has seen it? <laughs> it's actually really quite that simple. No one has seen it, and so they don't expect it, and then therefore they don't like it. <laughs> it's that it's that easy of math. And so my skin has been toughened by having to constantly push and constantly show up and constantly do it because I know that I would be a disappointment to myself if I didn't. That I know I can't sleep at night if I am anything less than who I am. And Carrie, I'm not at all pretending like that shit is easy. It's not. It's It's hard. It still makes me feel ill when I have to confront it. It still makes me feel nervous. My armpits itch and I start sweating and I feel my tongue's tied and all of that when I have to say the words. What are the words? Oh, oh, the words come in so many different forms. But in general, they are in defense of myself. They're in defense of people who look like me. They're in defense of my dad's history. They're in defense of the ones who will come after me. It's in defense of all of us. And I do take that very seriously. And sometimes that's what gives me (laughs) the courage to do it. You know, it's not even just like, oh, do it for yourself. No, I'm like, I got, I got, I got an army I can't even see. You know, the people who worked so hard to do it before I came here, who are requiring that I keep pushing forward. And the folks who, like my daughter, who are going to come after me, Mm -hmm. who can't, who, who, I don't want her to go through this. I'll start because everyone wants to know your career trajectory. But what you just said to me, and make sure I, I, I've heard you correctly, everything that you've experienced, no matter where you've been and no matter how glossy and shiny it appears, you've always had to have that conversation at every level of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. As you boss up, you still, as a Black woman in this corporate world, has you still have to answer to someone or have not even answer to someone, but have the conversation about you being unapologetic about the, you being you. <laughs> and that's right. Yeah. Did it happen at Pepsi? Did it happen when you work with Spike? Did it happen at Apple? Did it happen at Uber? Uh, and you know, you just got this great shiny new gig, by the way, and we'll get to that. That's a whole separate story because that to me is such a, a seminal moment in African-American history. Mm. And we'll get to that. But just so you know, that is what it is. Your mm. turn. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Those are the answers. Yes. I've had to do it everywhere. And it's come in different ways, you know, because folks find new ways to ask you the same question. <laughs> so I've had to find new ways to answer it. Sometimes I answer it privately. Sometimes I answer it publicly. Sometimes I answer it with a smile and then I ignore it. Sometimes I have to say it straight on with a loud voice that doesn't shake. Sometimes I have to answer it through somebody else who takes a message for me. I've had to, I've had to say, and I've had to answer the question again and again, why are you so mm, fill in the blank? Can't you be less mm, fill in the blank? I want you to do mm, fill in the blank. And then having to defend against that has just meant that I've become so much more nimble and adept at (laughs) moving past the barriers. I feel like 
Neo in the Matrix sometimes. You know mm. the scene? Like the... Yes. When you like go back. Yeah, exactly. You know, you move back, whole body bent backwards to avoid the hail of bullets. Yeah. That's what it feels like sometimes. But you know what, though? I do stand up every time because miss me with that. <laughs> okay? Miss me. And so I've had to find ways to answer the question again and again and again and again. And part of it I've reconciled has been, yes, because I do appear in these spaces differently from other people. And if I expect to keep breaking down doors or crashing ceilings or whatever the new term is, then I will have to continue to answer those questions because simply for the reason that no one has seen someone like me in that space before. And so, yes, they are going to ask me the same questions differently like I was asked when I was 12. Why do you wear those clothes? Mm. Why does your hair look like that? Why do you talk like that? Why are those ideas that you have, why is your music like that? All of the same questions, Carrie. They're just different from when I was 12, but they're all with the same tone. Simply because you haven't seen someone like me in this role before. So whether it was because I was fresh off the plane at 12 with a different accent and eating different food in the lunchroom, or I am 44 in a different boardroom sitting and trying to explain why my culture makes sense in this room, it is the same thing. You, you stay inspiring me. The message I receive right now is that with me, like tears in my eyes, y'all, y'all act like, I know, I know this, but like, I'm me and you haven't seen it before and love me for who I am. And if you don't, I'm gonna love myself. Yes. Girl, word. And I will, and I will leave you if you don't value me. Let's put a pin right <laughs> there. So when I was working at ESPN, I would, you know, my struggles and how upset mm -hmm. I was and what I went through right behind the scenes. And you would look at me like, well, why do you sit there? And I'd look mm. at you like, because I have to work <laughs> or <laughs> because okay. I have to get paid yeah. or yeah. because it's my job, because yeah. who else wants me? Because where else mm. is there to go? The average person mm. thinks all of those things. The average person doesn't walk away from a high, uh, high profile position. They don't walk away from Apple. They don't walk away from Beats. Mm. They don't walk mm. away from Pepsi. They don't walk away mm. from working with Spike. They don't walk away from being at Endeavor. The average mm. person says, God, these are such high profile positions. I have made such great contacts. I, I, I have to be here um, because where else could I be? What, what else is out there for me? And a friend of mine pointed this out about you. Mm. Once you realize you're not wanted, you're out the door. Not it's not you not you're not like Fast. you're not like okay by tomorrow. But you you're making plans, and it it, it is a pivot that is that is done intentionally. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? How mm. where does that strength come from? And how the hell you keep leveling up to all these great ass jobs? <laughs> damn it! I'm trying to get a god <laughs> damn it. Gosh, give me, God is, damn it, give me oh. that money. <laughs> it is such a complicated answer because it's a complicated situation. I think you're right. On the surface, it is that, yeah, when I'm not valued and I recognize that I'm not valued, I start making the plan to leave. I never do it spontaneously. I really don't. Mm -mm. Um, it may look that way, but I am intentional in that 
you can you can see the signs. It's like any other relationship. You know mm. when you not want it. Mm. You know you know when that person or that company don't want you. Yeah, why are you when still they, calling when they me? Stop, when they stop listening to you. You <laughs> know the difference. Yeah. Yo. You Yo. know the difference. You know when that energy shifts. Yeah. You know it. You mm-hmm. know it. And then sometimes we ignore it because we're afraid. We're afraid. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to, you know, find a new thing. We don't want to be the new kid again. We don't like all of those things. Listen, I never want that either. I don't want to be the new kid. I don't want to have to f- figure out the systems again. I'm onboarding right now. You think I want to do that? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I want to find a company where I can be for 15 years. I want to retire with the gold watch or whatever the hell they give you when you've been there for years and years. I want that. Okay. It's not that I don't, I absolutely want that. It is just that the brown print for my success has not come based on somebody else's success. So I am not going to apologize for the fact that my career doesn't look like what you expect it to look like. I'm not going to apologize for the moves I make based on my own self-interest. I'm not going to apologize for that. People ask me to apologize for that. They make me feel badly about it. Some people want to make me feel ashamed for the fact that I am in places for a short amount of time. I refuse Mm -hmm. to apologize. Mm -hmm. I made this career on my own damn terms, and I refuse to let somebody else make me feel ashamed for it. I'm going to succeed in spite of it. Also, I'm a survivor, Carrie. Who are you telling? Tuh, I'm a survivor. Who are you I telling? Bet on myself. Because bet I on yourself. Fallen, I have fallen more times <laughs> than I can count, and I get up every single time. So guess what? If I look around and I'm like, oh, I see y'all don't want me. Okay, cool. Because you know what? This is not the first time. <laughs> okay. And I have survived others. Okay, so listen, everyone, we have all been in a relationship, a work relationship where we knew we weren't wanted and we didn't have the power to bet on ourselves. We didn't have mm. the confidence. We didn't have the, the insurance, whatever it takes that, 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 that intestinal fortitude that says we can't wait on them to make a move. I'm going to make a move. There is so much power in not being attached to a place or that place's mission or a person, you know, outside of your loved ones. There's so much power in that, Bozema, mm-hmm. because you can pack up and know that the mission, whatever your personal mission is, whatever mm-hmm. your passion is, is still what you want and not what they want. And there That's is right. your power. There is your peace. That's why you're able to pack up and move and be so nimble because you know what? I'll take this elsewhere. I'll go take this love. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and get. I'm gonna go ahead and drop some other people with this shine. I'm gonna go ahead and sprinkle mm-hmm. some salt. I'm gonna sprinkle some salt on somebody else else and and help them. Okay, because you yeah. you you missed your blessing. Yeah, if every yeah. if everybody could do that, we would feel so empowered in our own selves. Yes. But everybody can't. No one even knows how to do that. That no one even know. Like there needs to be, as you said, what this podcast is. This brown print. What mm-hmm. are the steps? What did, what, what were your steps each time that you had to transition? What were those steps? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to get philosophical first and then I'll, I'll come to the practical, right? Okay. Um, and I'll take it way back. Cause you and I walked the steps of Cape coast dungeon, right? In, in, in Cape coast in Ghana. Um, and for those who don't know, it is the place where a lot of more than 50% of captured Africans 
uh, were housed and tortured before being put on ships to go across the Atlantic to wherever their destination was going to be in the Americas or in the Caribbean, etc. It is profound to me that as black and brown people, we don't recognize the fortitude that it took to survive those types of conditions, not only in the transatlantic slave trade, but then in the survival of the conditions that we were placed in afterwards. And this is regardless of if you were in the Americas or the Caribbean or even on the continent of Africa, because let's not forget that colonization meant that those same people who came to capture our people came back to the land and then took it over as well, made us slaves on our own land. So let's not forget that. Mm. I think of those people, those ancestors who survived those conditions. And I know that in my spirit and in my DNA, because there is science about microbial and cellular memory, that my cells, my own DNA, the cells that make up my skin and my brain and my tongue and my spirit remember that survival. So why in the hell would I not bet on myself? I have survived everything and I'm still here. So I don't even understand how we can walk around Mm -hmm. and not feel that power Mm. and not understand that because of what we have been through, and yes, what we have been through, people want to say, oh, well, that was a long time ago. No, it wasn't. Your DNA remembers that. Those who exist in you right now remember that. And so, yes, we should walk in that power. And so, therefore, when I'm in spaces or in situations where I feel that I am no longer valued, my ideas aren't valued, my voice isn't valued, my contributions aren't valued, then I draw on that strength. I start making plans. <laughs> you know, we had, we had lots of ancestors who made a lot of plans to get out of some really terrible situations. Amen. Whether it was, you know, gaining independence on our own land, because in Ghana, independence didn't come until 1957. My mother was nine, so she remembers that, okay? So to me, it's like, yeah, you got to make plans. Start writing that shit down. How are you going to get out? And what does it look like? Based on, yes, what does it look like? Where can you go? Where's a safe house? I.e. another job. People. Mm-hmm. Yes, I.e. another job. Maybe sometimes it's people. You know, who are the people that you need to rely on who can, like Harriet Tubman... <laughs> get you out. You know, you need an underground railroad of your own. You start talking to your people. But also, also, very, very big point, and this might sound really counterproductive, or maybe people might sound may think it sounds morbid, but you start making the plans before you're in trouble. You know, you start building your network before you're in trouble. Because nobody wants that call where it's just like, oh, girl, I ain't talked to you in six months. What you need from me? No, you make your relationships, you build your network, you keep your network hot, fresh, keep talking to people about the things you're doing. It's also part of the reason why I do brag so much. I'm like, hey, look at what I'm doing. I need people to know exactly what I'm doing. That way, if I ever need your help in figuring out what's next, you already heard it. You already know it. I'm not over here trying to educate you. You already know what I've been up to. Mm-hmm. 
I'm writing this down for me, just so you know. <laughs> this is for the podcast. It's also for me and my spirit. But listen to what you just said. Amen. You said make a plan. And you don't necessarily make the plan when you're in trouble, but the plan looks like an underground railroad system in which you have people that are part of your network that you're going to use. We all know the network, but these are people that you just, you, you, I see you over there in the corner. I see. Okay. I see you. you. No, we'll have lunch. It's not, I need a job now, but it's, you know what I mean? You keep your, you keep your, your network popping. Mm Mm-hmm. What are you making all these contacts for if you're just going to let them sit there and then pull out some dusty old card? Yeah. When, when you, you when, when you're you in trouble. Them? Yeah. Ooh. First of all, nobody likes that call. You you know that friend. You know that person, right? We all have them in their life. In our yeah. Lives. Like, why call are you calling you out me? The blue I heard and you from know you. they need something. Yeah, I heard from you. How likely are you are? How likely are you to help them? Very unlikely. So use the same knowledge for your networking career, right? It's like, keep your network popping. Make those relationships fresh. Care about them too, because it's reciprocal. You are good at that. That's a part of the job too, though. It mm-hmm. is. It's not a job though when you know that it. It ultimately, it may not even have to pay off as another job, but it does pay off to keep your network popping, as you say. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because people would only look at you and think you've only had success in your career. Talk to me about, I remember you shared a story and I don't know which one you'll share now, but talk to me about a failure in your career that you've learned from. It's such a generic question, but I want people to understand mm. how they definitely don't always have to, to see a W. A L is also helpful as well. Yeah. L's are helpful. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I would, gosh, that's a hard question actually, because um, I would say if in all truth and candor, that sometimes having to leave a job feels like failure to me. Mm. You know, having to leave, it's not always just the bravado Mm. of like, well, you don't want me, I'm out of here. I feel failure in that. I feel like, man, my ideas weren't big enough. That if they were big enough, they would have recognized it. Mm. Or I didn't connect, and that was my fault. I should have tried harder to connect. I should have tried harder to make them see me. I should have tried harder to make them love me. Mm. And it feels like failure sometimes. But it's not. Well, it's you know, not it's perspective, right? But it's but it not. Still. But it still hurts. But that is that is the perfectionist in you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. the I have to win at all cost in you. Yeah. Uh, So it's the two sides of the coin, you know, it's the one which requires the bravery to say, you know, this shit ain't working. I got to go, you know, I got to get out of here. But on the other side of that same coin is the pain of feeling like, damn it, this didn't work. Yeah. There's never been a job that I have gone into then been like, you know what? I think I'm going to be here for a year and a half and then Mm. I'm going to (laughs) leave. I have never said that. You know? Never. I've always said, this is, this is home. I feel so good here. I like these people. Look at this desk. It's a nice desk that they got. Look at that coffee. I never tasted coffee like this before. You know what I'm saying? And then, Mm. and then you realize and you're like, oh, I failed again. Mm. I failed again. But that's not true. No, no, no. That's what it feels like. But what do you think you failed at? Like not impressing them enough? Because someone. My ideas weren't big enough. 
But someone, you know, even though those are mostly lies, for sure. Whoa, sorry, for sure <laughs> but you, lies. But you can't, you don't know, right? So I think it's um, it's an academic and intellectual exercise, and it's also a spirit and heart exercise that your head can tell you, get out of here, Bose. Like, they don't like what you're doing. They stealing your ideas. They don't really value you. And your heart says, oh, but only if I tried harder. Oh, only if I just wore a prettier dress. Uh, only if I spoke a little softer and maybe, maybe for a little while you try that too. Cause you're not willing to give up. You know, you're just like, okay, let me try it a different way. I know that they would like my ideas. I just got to think harder, mm. I gotta think bigger. And you come back with the heat and you're like, ah, there you go. Now you can't deny me. And then they're still like, you know what? That's a good idea. But you know what? Maybe you could, maybe we'll try that another time. Mm, I don't think so. And then you're like, what the fuck? What? What happened? But it, sounds to me like you've already, you know what happened. It's because they've never seen the likes of you before. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when someone makes you uncomfortable or makes you see yourself in a way in which you feel less, you can't embrace them. No one with any real power can be honest about their lack of power when they interact with a force like you, because you are mighty. Mm -hmm. You are Mm -hmm. mighty. So they can't Mm -hmm. be like, you make me feel less mighty. There's no way Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. The only way that I can, and this is just the, the lack of self-awareness and involvement in humans. It's rare for that, especially if you're working with men, uh, to tell this, this, this immigrant woman, young brown girl, that you're too powerful, you're too mighty, your ideas are too big. They can't say that. Mm-hmm. They can't yeah. say that. They can't. They I mean, can't. And, and I recognize that. I do recognize that. And I think that's how you have to reconcile it. You know, you said a really important word, which is self-awareness, you know, being able to recognize your fear and overcome it anyway, and not get confused by it, Mm. you know, because sometimes your fear can feel like a correction, you know, it can feel like, oh, it's self-improvement, but it's just fear. You know, and so sometimes you do that and then you're like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm just scared. Yeah. It's it's not that like I need to try harder. I'm just scared to go. Yeah. I'm scared to go. Ooh, you're preaching to me right now, girl, but this is about Mm -hmm. everybody else. I asked you when I come over on Saturday (laughs) Uh, because I was scared to go. I was I was scared. And you would be your disdain with me for staying at ESPN, for staying at those four letters. You're like, why are you still there? Why are you still posting photos? Because it's. It's it's my job. People Listen, on the outside think it's cool. Can, yeah, Carrie, can we can we give the people a word though? Uh, just a real quick word, because sometimes you need a friend like that. Yeah, and oh. everybody requires it. So if you have no friends in your life who are looking at you with disdain <laughs> when you are doing something that they know ain't good for you, get you some new friends. Yeah. Get you some friends that are going to hold you to the standard of excellence. Yeah. Who are not going to let you stay in a situation that they know for sure is not good for you, who can see better for you, who will celebrate your greatness and therefore are disgusted by anyone who doesn't treat you as such Mm -hmm. and will sit there and judge you Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you don't see it. Mm -hmm. Get you some friends like that. Because your friends will do that when you're in a bad relationship with a dude. They better do it when you're in a bad relationship at work. Like you still sitting up here settling? 
You you still over here letting even, them talk to you like this? Still, even though they're giving you whatever money they're giving you, you, you buy in your silence? Okay. All Listen. right. I got you. Listen. I see. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we'll let you see the greatness in yourself. We'll big you up. We'll send you those emojis and text messages that be like, girl, you you the baddest. You know you're cute, right? Mm-hmm. You're the baddest. You're the smartest. Yep. You're the dopest. Yes. Nobody does it like you do. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you did for me. Like you do for me all the time, all the time, all the time. Oh, I'll be the, I'll be the first one. Be like, let me see your face. <laughs> Have you seen your own face today? Have you seen it? Look at your face today. <laughs> we are a fool, a whole fool. We are okay. So I got to fast forward to, which is not even a fast forward, but I need you to tell me, you talked about you don't ever look at a job and think I only want to be here for a year and a half. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the transition from Endeavor to the CMO of, you know, Netflix. I don't think anybody looks at that as a failure, my friend. In fact, the culture, (laughs) my friend celebrated for you, your negotiations always are tense and tough and you don't back down. You go and asking for everything and the kitchen sink as the kids say. And you say, that's what I deserve. The reality is you walk in there and you demand your Mm -hmm. worth because you know Mm -hmm. your value. I don't care if I'm here for six months. Give me what I deserve. Amen. Yes, it's true. Because the thing is also that we have forever been told that we should just be grateful to be in the room. Yeah. You know, that if you make it, that you should just be thankful and take whatever was given to you. Right, right. You know, but that is not true. And the challenge is that many of us, it doesn't even matter if you're brown or black or anything, that if you are not being compensated for the job that you are doing, you become bitter and angry Mm. about it. It is that forethought that I have when I'm negotiating. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be mad at this. No. Mm -mm." Because the thing is, I want the job. I want the job. I want to be there. I do it for free, actually. But I know that once the job gets really into it and I get into it and it starts getting tough and you podcast over podcast over (laughs) because I get mad when I know you're not paying me my damn worth. Yeah. So I I need to nip it in the bud in the beginning so I won't get mad because I know I'm going to give you everything I got. Everything I got. I'm, I'm going to give you everything. No one will outwork me, so I better get my worth. Literally, no one will outwork me. I am I yelling. I am going to do it. I yes. am yelling because that just hits my spirit in my pocketbook. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my pocketbook. Okay. But it's true, <sighs> Carrie. No one is going to do it better than me. I promise you that. I promise you that. I promise you that. Sorry. So therefore, (laughs) pay me what I'm owed. Okay. Whoo, Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. So yeah, you got to do it. And it takes practice. I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, overnight, but it takes practice. You got to do it again and again and again and again. It happens on the consistent basis. It happens when you ask for the promotion. It happens when you ask for the raise. It happens when you ask for the extra perk. It happens when you ask for maybe the um, benefits that other people get that you don't get. You know, all of the things. All of the things. Girl, I remember the first time that um, I asked if my job could pay for a first class seat. I remember that moment. Okay, you tell your story, I tell my story, you go. (laughs) Well, 
um, I was so happy because I had been asked to attend a meeting um, in in uh, Beijing, and I was living in New York, and um, the flight was like, oh, I'm sorry, no, 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 it wasn't Beijing. It was Sydney. It was Sydney. It was Sydney. It was Sydney. And the flight was long as hell. And I knew that there were more senior executives who were going and who were going to be flying in first. Um, but at my level, you know, you weren't allowed to buy first class seats. So you had to buy coach. And, but I was like, oh no, see, uh, -uh. this is going to be like 15, 16, 17, 11, 12 hours. 15, 11 hours. Yeah. I can't, I can't. Yeah. So I wrote an email, deleted it, wrote another email, deleted it, thought about what I was going to say. Cause I was like, oh, better, maybe it's better if I do it in person, lost my nerve, Okay, I'm gonna make a phone call so I don't have to look him in the eye. Lost my nerve. Wrote another email. Deleted it. Like I went through rounds and rounds and rounds of what I wanted to say, and then I decided like I wouldn't be able to say it without my voice shaking, and I'd probably piss my pants. So I made my friend write the email. I didn't look at it. I had her do it on my computer, and I just told her send. I couldn't do it myself. But you know what the lesson was that in for me was that, um, by the way, I've used that trick again and again and again. I had my friend write my resignation for Uber too. Um, <laughs> because I couldn't do it. I was so scared. I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> that's a true story. <laughs> I couldn't do it myself. But that's, you know, it's like the, I had the power of using your village. I had my friend write my resignation things. for ESPN. I had to send a message. <laughs> I have my friend do it. I had my friend do it. <laughs> you did, yeah. I had to. I had to because you were had to, you were going to write something. I mean, you, you were write. You were going to write something my, publicly, publicly, and I needed somebody mm. to give me the words. And the words there were be, there need to be new tweets. Yeah, there need. Yeah, and my friend did it for me. And mm -hmm. I, she's yeah. on my she's on my podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? That's what you need. Friends who are going to be like, do not publish that. Give me your phone. Give me your phone right now. Give me the phone. I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna do it myself. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> right? I mean. So what happened when they sent the oh, yeah. So they sent I, I the got, email. I got the seat. I got the seat. Oh, they just said was it a fight or no? It was a little bit of a fight. We went back and forth a little bit. Okay. Um, but I had all my rationale because I I'd been arguing with myself for like four or five days, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. arguing all the points around it. Mm -hmm. But eventually I got it. But it took that one brave moment. And then after that, I was like, oh, okay, here's my benchmark, right? So every time after that, because then you set the precedent. And so after that, they can't really deny you. So then I had sent the precedent. And then after that, I was like, oh, yeah, no, we going on a long trip again. I need that first class. Remember, you gave it to me last time. Yep, I'm getting in, getting in. Listen to that. Once you set the precedent, they can't deny you. Mm. And also even for yourself, right? Once you have created a bar... You can't go back from that. So why not push to get that bar set? I tell you, I, yeah. I love you. I love you. What advice, before I let you go, would you give to everyone listening to The Brown Print, even though this is entire podcast, oh. is it? And I hate that question when people give it to me, but what's been the most valuable learning lesson that yeah. you've been able to have over the years? Yeah. Um, it is a hard question, but because it's The Brown Print... And we started off talking about the unlikely chance that you succeed based off of somebody else's plan. 
I would say that the brown print becomes the Carrie print, becomes the Bose print, becomes the Sylvia print, becomes the Tina print, becomes the Justina print, becomes the Yvonne print, becomes the Cynthia print, becomes the Jessica print. It becomes your print. Yay. Because that's the only way that you're going to succeed. So do it yourself. And speaking of doing it yourself, let's talk about this workshop. Can folks get get any? Oh, can, yes. can folks get in yes. on it? Can people get it when it's done? Will it be available and ready to serve? Because that is a true brown print. That's the Bose print. Ooh. Give me that Bose print. <laughs> will, yes. will the Bose print well, be know, available? Carrie, I've been asked so for so long about how I did it, how I'm doing it, how I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and I, I really gave answers sort of haphazardly, you know, in different spaces on different podcasts like this one, you know, in different ways. And it felt like I needed to concentrate all of the answers in one place. And while we have been sheltered at home because of COVID-19 and other reasons, mm-hmm. um, everybody else feels like they're hibernating, waiting for everything to get back to normal. But I feel like it's more like a cocoon, you know, that you go in, but you must evolve in it. That this is not the time where you sit and wait and sleep, mm-hmm. that you are actively evolving. And so I decided to take the chance and create something that had been on my heart for a long time and see how, how it did. And that was the workshop. So it's been really wonderful, you know, to be able to share in an organized fashion, the ways in which I've been able to create the career I've been able to create in all of its variations, whether it's like showing up as my full self or using my voice to advocate for myself or negotiating for the big money or like aligning my mind, spirit, my body to do everything the way it's supposed to do so I can actually win in the long term and connecting all of those dots. That is what the workshop is. And yes, it is available forever. So come on. TheBadassWorkshop.com. BadassWorkshop.com. But <laughs> BadassWorkshop.com. I'm screaming. Well, obviously. You are you are screaming. We'll, you are we'll, screaming. We'll pick this together up and post, and I'll be adding all of the all of the things. Um, okay. How did I get so blessed to have you in my life where you can write all my resignation letters and moments for me? Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And you do it for me. Hey, give me joy and peace and celebration. And you come to my house and dance around and catch the spirit when I have winds. (laughs) And I'm with it. I'm with it. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Bozema, St. John, badass all around. Uh, It has been an education. I I am really blessed to have you in my village. Thank you, my friend. I love you. Thank you. you Bye. I got really emotional in that conversation with Bozema because... She is a wonderful friend and we've been through so much together. I appreciate her candor and her honesty. No matter how excellent you are, no matter how amazing you are, no matter how many successes you've been able to log in your career, there are those moments where you just don't know if you've done enough. And that's what she talked about. She felt as if she failed when all I saw was a win. But that is something that everyone can relate to. Know your worth. Know when you're not being appreciated. It is okay to say, I don't want to be here. But for whatever reason, we have been conditioned to believe that that is not acceptable. Well, that is a lie. 
And while that may have been the blueprint of your parents' days or of your friends' yesteryears, the brown print says, no, you don't have to do it that way. Bose worked hard to achieve her place and overcame a lot along the way, personally and professionally. Do your homework, research her. We each have our own story, and I think we can learn so much from what she's been able to accomplish. I hope you've enjoyed this session of The Brown Print. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Ha <laughs> ha. Kidding. Kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.